everybody for coming out tonight. Um, I take it that the crowd tonight is, is bigger because you couldn't make it last night. And just when you were wondering, how crazy are we? We had a meeting last night. So um, uh, we were here uh, gladly, although some seemed to remain in the car a little longer than others. But uh, Matt, Matt was able to preach last night. So uh, if you ever see a torrential downpour like that and you're wondering, should we go? Yes, come. Um, we'll be here. So if just not to tell you, uh, you know, have maybe a snack since we brought a snack last night too. Um, so the meetings will continue this week each night at 7.30 to 8.30. So today's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Um, I had a friend, I invited him, he said, I'll be there Saturday. I said, the only night we're not there, I said Saturday. Um, but Sunday will be the last meeting, uh, Lord willing, each night. Uh, we don't know when the Lord's going to return, so we say that. Um, truthfully, that, that this could be the last meeting, but if the Lord has not returned, kind of having a meeting every night here except for Saturday, and Sunday night will be the conclusion to our, our short series here. So we thank you once again uh, for making a point to be with us tonight for the preaching of the gospel. Now before we open up God's word, uh, we'll just take a, a moment here to bow our heads and to pray to him. Our Father in heaven, uh, we give thee thanks uh, for thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we're thankful that not only do we love to tell the story, but we would say, what is history uh, but his story? So we would say from the time that uh, the sun first rose uh, on this globe uh, until the moment where there's no more need for a sun in heaven above, uh, what is time and what is eternity apart from the one that we seek to proclaim tonight, Jesus Christ? We thank Thee, Lord, that He entered time, that He entered our place here, this earth, in order to redeem, in order to save. Just help us to tell others tonight of this great and marvelous statement uh, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom are we? We pray, Lord, tonight for the realization of, of whom we are, and, and just because of that, to know who Your Son is, the Savior. So we ask for this help. Bless us tonight. We ask all this in my son's name. Amen. I'd just like to read one verse tonight. It's found in Luke 15. Luke 15 and verse 2. Luke 15. We're going to read verse 2 of Luke chapter 15. comment a little bit just about the chapter after I read the verse, but uh, these are the beginning verses here of a, a very famous chapter. Have you ever heard the story of the prodigal son? It's in this chapter. Um, of the, uh, the shepherd that goes looking for the sheep? It's in this chapter. So uh, sometimes uh, we rarely give homework here, but uh, it's not it's not uncommon for people to go home and open their Bibles after a gospel meeting and just to read through maybe the context uh, of which we have spoken of, uh, just to see that what we're saying is not just being completely ripped out of the Bible and, and, and lacks any, as it were, context. But it, it, it is this verse I'm going to read tonight that really sums up everything that's to come in this chapter of Luke. Luke 15, um, we'll just start at verse 1. Uh, then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, those would have been some of the religious hierarchy of the day. This is what they said. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth 
with them. This is what those men said. This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Maybe just as the beginning, um, it was, uh, I think it's my mother's story, but I find it quite humorous. Uh, when she was growing up and heard this verse, she thought, and maybe you thought as well, that there was a lady named Edith. And this man received sinners and Edith too, right? And Edith with them. And so my mom's question always was, who's Edith? Uh, and uh, maybe, that, you know, you say, you say, oh, that's funny. But, you know, actually, that thought is not far-fetched because a lot of times people are Edith, right? Oh, there's sinners, and then there's me. Uh, and a lot of times, uh, sometimes the, the categories get, get morphed, and, and we stop to fail to recognize uh, exactly who is the sinner and who is the saint. Sometimes we think that the saints are the uh, religious hierarchy. They could be uh, uh, individuals in your church or in your establishment are higher than you. But the Bible simply says that all are sinners because Christ came to save all. So I just want to speak on this verse tonight. This man receiveth sinners. You know, when the Lord Jesus Christ, when he heard this comment and when it was said to him, uh, uniquely so, it was meant to be an insult. Matt doesn't like bullies. Uh, I find that hard to believe after living with him for, you know, five or six days, but that's what his words are. I'll take him at his own word. I guess I wouldn't like bullies either, and it it seems to me when I was growing up uh, that you're always afraid, not necessarily of, you know, if someone says something about you and they make fun of you, it's one thing, but if it's true, it's a whole other thing, right? You may make fun of me for, it could be something, uh, maybe the way I, I sing, you might say, oh, it's a little loud or... It just it goes up and down or that and but you know if I really think that it's worse you know I remember kids making fun of me for my ears uh, in school and I remember uh, some other things about what my dad did for work I remember people making fun of that and it was true and it hurt right you'd say if it's false who cares right it doesn't matter but when these men came to the Lord Jesus they said something they knew was true and they meant it to hurt and they looked at him and they said. We're going we're gonna to go straight for, you know, we say straight for the jugular. We're going to go straight for the insult of insults. And you know what they said? This man receives sinners. They meant it as an insult. It's the greatest thing I could tell you tonight. It's the greatest thing that I could tell you tonight, that this man receives sinners. When I go through this chapter, um, what's unique about the chapter is, it's not only the way it ends. The way it ends is by telling us of, of someone who was lost, and it's found, but, but as I go through the chapter, it, sometimes it speaks to me because, uh, you know, it, it hits you right where it hurts. The chapter starts and it tells me about a uh, hundred sheep, and it tells me about one that gets lost, and it says that the shepherding goes out, he looks for that sheep until he finds it. He never gives up until he finds it. And, and you might wonder... Could he find me? And, and, and the Bible says this, and our verse after it, it says this, that one sinner is better than 99 good people. I don't know 99 good people. But the Bible comes across and just says this, if there was one sinner out there, the Lord Jesus Christ, he looks for sinners, but he never looks for good people. Because you know what? Healthy people don't need doctors. Innocent people don't need lawyers. Right? Right? The Bible comes and says this, if you're good tonight, let me just get your attention. If you're good tonight, if you've done good, heaven's not for you. Let me just repeat that. If you are good tonight, you would hate heaven. 
Because heaven was built by a man that received sinners. And so it tells me here, one out of a hundred, he goes and finds it. Then it tells me another story about one out of ten coins that were lost. And it tells me about a lady. She goes and she searches for it until she finds it. But the book or the chapter ends with one out of two sons. It tells me there that the two sons, one, one is seemingly good, the other one is, is obviously bad. But it tells me something unique there. It says there that a father, he waits until sinners come home. But only sinners ever go home. Righteous people never return. They don't need to. And so that's where our chapter starts out. But just to go comment on that verse, it starts by saying this, this man receives sinners. Why does it start like that? I've often wondered, why does it start with what I would take it was the problem? It, it tells me that this man, isn't, isn't man the problem? Isn't, isn't that the issue? You would, you would maybe think about your neighbor, you would think about someone you would know, and you would say, Dave, I think that man is the problem. I don't think he's the answer. So how is this man ever going to take care of the problem? I think yesterday on the news it told a story about uh, Mayor de Blasio. He went down and he rode the number 6 train at rush hour because everyone's complaining that you can't get on the subways anymore, that they're hot and that they're uncomfortable and that commuting is terrible. And so he went down and he rode the 6 train. They interviewed a lady uh, who was nearby. She said he only made it worse. He brought more people with him. She's like, why doesn't he just deal with the problem? Who cares if he knows it's bad or not? You know, but he was, he was trying to make a point. He was trying to go down and we say, suffer with the common people, right? You know, I would invite you to come to my house. It doesn't have an air conditioning. Suffer. Suffer a little while, right? And then go back. You'd say, oh, it's every time you leave a problem, when you get to leave a problem and go back to what you knew, you'd say, they really had it bad, right? We always hear that when people vacation somewhere that we would call third world. They say, they come back and they go, you don't know how good we have it. And you're like, what? There's no Starbucks? No. And you'd say, no, it's, it's awful, right? They don't know how bad the problems really are. And yet we would take it, oh, isn't it great that sometimes people get to see the problems and then they get to return and they get to start a charity. They get, to, they get to start an organization to raise money, to raise funds in order to address that problem. But see, when it comes to the Bible, it doesn't tell me that God looked down and saw the problem. He came down and He became a man to take care of the problem. That's the great story of Christianity, was that God became a man. That the God of heaven who could have acted as a, we call them a landlord, who never wants to deal with the people in the tenant. He could have just left and left us to our own ways, but he came to where the problem was. A God became a man. I think of a story. Some of you might know it here. I think it was the head title in the Time magazine for 1945, right after the Japanese surrendered. I think there may be some Japanese in the audience tonight. I could qualify this with you. I don't know if Toshi's here. Maybe not. Um, it was Emperor Hirohito. And when General MacArthur, after the surrender, he made General Hirohito come on board that ship. And amongst other things, he made him do this. See, they thought that this emperor was a god. They made him come on board the ship and they said, you have to go back and tell your people you're not god. That's part. That's going to be part of the surrender. Because you have lost this war, this, because you have lost, you have to go back and tell the nation that you're not a god. And Time Magazine printed a cover there in 1945, and it said this, God became man. Because he lost. 
See, Christianity tells me that God became a man in order to achieve the greatest victory known. That God became a man and went to Calvary in order that this verse could say, and it could say it with truth, that this man, he receives sinners. That God became a real man. He had, as it were, you would say, the same hands that you have. He had the, the same feet that you have. You say his heart beat the same way yours and mine does. Except he didn't share our problem. He had no sins. And so when the Bible talks about this man, the one who became, you say, the God that became a man did not have sin. That was the reason. If, if, if I could just say that clearly tonight, because I know that people come repeatedly to these meetings, and you might leave, and you might still be depending on, on something that you can do. Listen, if you could achieve heaven, God should have never come. If you could get to heaven on your own stairway, on your own ladder, on on any means possible, then there was no reason for God to become a man and hang at Calvary. No reason. If you could do it. If you could achieve it. I don't care in in any fashion possible. You say, there was no reason for Him to come. and, And He did. And this man, the Lord Jesus Christ... He's the only man that caused heaven to be ripped open. And God said, this is my son. And he's the only man to have his back ripped open at a place called Calvary. And he died for your sins. This man, receive it. Matt and I visited Columbia University on Saturday. And we walked through there and they wanted to see some of the statues, the library. And uh, I usually take people there and I I just mentioned to him, I said, you know, I said... uh, when I was in the 8th grade, I told my parents in my living room at 169 Park Ave, I said, I'd like to go to Columbia University. I didn't get a giggle as much as I got a guffaw, um, but it was quite loud laughter that was in the living room that day when I told them that I wanted to attend the Ivy League College of, of Columbia. And you'd say, well, why did they laugh, Dave? They should have encouraged you. Well, no, that, yeah, you know, we're, we're all the same. We're, we're, not, we're not low achievers, but we're not, uh, we're not brain surgeons by any, by any measure. But you see, there were standards there. You know, when I walk through that place, I'm, I'm kind of amazed. I, I, I'm almost uh, in awe at, at you'd say, if, if brains were contagious, I would hang out there. You'd say, but with the standards to get in, so high, so high to get in. I remember applying for a Sears credit card. I think it was only a couple of years ago. thought my credit was decent. And you go to Sears Hardware in Lillard Park, it's not exactly a high-budget store. And they denied me the credit card. Why? Because they had standards. They had standards. I had to get my grandma to come down. She got the credit card for me, and I got the hammock. But you say, not only that, you say, uh, I have a brother. He works for the FBI now. You say, anybody can become an agent. I don't know. He had to pass a couple polygraph tests. He couldn't have done anything intoxicating for the past two years. You say, high standards. What's heaven's standard? If you could come back and just tell me tonight, and I don't want a dissertation. I, I, don't, I don't want you to, to drag it on. You know, I'm given half an hour here to speak. I could probably keep it shorter. But just if I could ask you at the back of the tent tonight, and, and maybe I will, what is heaven's standard? Perfection. Perfection. That's a hundred out of a hundred. That's that's perfect, right? Perfect, perfect people go to heaven. You say, well, then guess what, Dave? No one's going to be there. If you recognize that tonight, I would get through to you. If you could tell me tonight that no one would be in heaven based on the standard to get there, 
I would add may I amen. I would amen as loud as I possibly could. If you said to me, Dave, if heaven's standard is perfection, if that's who gets in, it's going to be an empty place. A perfect man took my place. See, heaven says, either perfection or get a perfect man to willingly die for you. And you get to go in under His merit, under His value, under His identity. You see, when I get to heaven and the registrar is opened up, right? You ever get there, first day of classes in September at a university or at a school, and you're just hoping, you're hoping that your parents at some camp you entered, that they registered you and your name is on the list, and that somehow you could just say, oh, I'll do... Because if it's not, it just makes this hoopla of a mess. You'd say, what are the chances? that my name will ever be heard in heaven. You know what? It's my identity. And when God looks at me, He sees His Son. Because His Son took my place. When it says that this man receives, He receives sinners because Christ only came to die for sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And when it comes time, you say, for this reception, and instead of boasting of what I've done, I just boast in Calvary. I just boast in one man who willingly exchanged himself for me. That's it. Heaven only ever wanted God's Son. Heaven only ever wanted God's Son. And everyone who is in heaven is there because they have received heaven's standard bearer. The one who took our place at Calvary. And so when I look at that, this man receives sinners. I say, it never sounded so sweet. Never, if the, if the whole line was an insult, if it was just something that was insulting to say, the last word, it, it goes from an insult and it goes through a term of endearment. Because if that's who he came to save, gladly, gladly would I take it. I can remember sometimes when I was younger getting pulled over and instead of giving my name, because my name had a record that had 14 points attached to it and a number of tickets, I would give my brother's name. You know why? His name was perfect. His name had nothing against it. His name was, you would say, he had no record. And when it comes time for this, for heaven, you'd say, I accept that term, sinner, because that's who He came to save. You'd say, it's the one thing that keeps people out of heaven, but it's the one qualification for heaven, that He came to save people who cannot save themselves. And this man receives sinners. You'd say, it's a hard thing to convince you of tonight. But if you wanted to be saved, I think we say it most nights, you just have to believe something that is written down. It's just believing. That's why I read one verse. Because you say, you might need a lot of verses to get through the year. You only need one verse to get to heaven if you could believe it. Because God has said something here. And you'd say, do I believe it? Or do I not believe it? If I were to ask you, you say, where are you going if you die? I met it, We met a guy. We said it in the first night. And he told us, he said he was going to hell. And we would say, if we could, who told you that? 
Who tells anybody that they're not going to heaven? You'd say, most of us here, as I look over my audience, and just take a minute to glance, you say, how do we know anybody ends up there? You say, because the Bible tells us so. The Bible. The Bible says, in fact, the Lord Jesus Christ says, if you die in your sins, where I am, you cannot be. And if you believe that, you could believe the great insult. This man received sinners. You could believe that. Because you would believe the bad. There are some people here, if I told you, I mean, I mean, honestly, I know that we don't look like a very noble religious outfit here in the tent. We don't, we don't have a steeple. We don't have pews. We have nothing. You'd say, but, but if you met the right religious guru and they told you to, to attend a mass for the rest of the year and you'd go to heaven, you'd do it. And then you'd ask them, where is it in the Bible? It's nowhere in the Bible. If you met a good man and he told you to confess your sins to another man and it would earn you heaven, you would do it. Is it in the Bible? No. If you met someone who told you to tithe 10% of your income for the rest of your life and you would go to heaven, you would do it if a man told you. Tonight I ask you, if the, the Word of God says that you can have forgiveness of sins through a man who died at Calvary plus nothing plus nothing would you believe it if the Bible said it because at the end of the day if you're believing in men other than this man you're believing in something that's not worth believing in this man received sinners and he would receive you he would save your soul. And you say, how does someone get saved? They simply believe what God has said. And God has told us that His Son gives life. His Son came to save. And here, even the enemies knew it. Sometimes it's hard-pressed when I know that enemies know truths tonight. And I'm looking at friends and family and they don't know this truth. That this man receives sinners. And you could know forgiveness of sins tonight. You could know the same salvation that the person to the right of you knows. If you would just take him at his word and add nothing to it. And just rest where God has rested. Be satisfied with what God is satisfied in. And it is just this. That when he gave his son, he gave everything. And when Christ died, he died for you. You have to add nothing to it. You take it just as that, and you believe what God has said, and you could be saved tonight. You could receive forgiveness of sins. It's done. Good to see all that are out tonight. Uh, let's read in the first book in our Bible for our first verse. And I'd like to, uh, with God's help, uh, look at four different thoughts. Uh, about passageways or doors found in Scripture. But look at Genesis and chapter 4 with me if you can. The first book of our Bible, Genesis and chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 7. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. 
And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Sin lieth at the door. Let's look at another one in the book of Job. Job in 38. Job in chapter 38. It's amazing that in this chapter, if you look at Job chapter 38, there's over 70 questions that God asked Job. But I just want to look at one. So drop down to verse 17. There's two questions here, but uh, the focus is on one word in here. Have the gates of death been opened unto thee? Or hast thou seen the doors of the shadow of death? The doors of the shadow of death. Now let's look in our New Testament, in the book of John, in chapter 10. John's Gospel in chapter 10. John chapter 10 and verse 7. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Now our last reading is in Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and chapter 13. Luke in chapter 13 and verse 23. Here's a question asked of Christ. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up and hath shut to the door, and ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, Open unto us, and he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence ye are. Then shall ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, when you shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrust out. And they shall come from the east and from the west, and from the north and from the south, and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. And behold, there are last which shall be first, and there are first which shall be last. The thoughts that I have upon my heart tonight 
have to do with doors found in Scripture. It's a very simple thought. When you think of a door, you think of a, an entrance or a, or a passageway, the door that's shut, and you can open the door and you can enter in. One door that we're going to speak about is a door that you and I have all entered into. Another door that we're going to speak about is a door that none of you have entered into yet, but it's a door that you're going to enter into. Another door that we're going to speak about uh, is the door of salvation. There are those in the audience today that have trusted in this man that it receives sinners. Not Dave, I'm just referring to him. Christ receives sinners. And you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is the door of salvation. You have eternal life. The last door that we're going to speak about is a door that I trust no one experiences here tonight. It's a door that we find in Scripture, a door that's shut. A door where the day of God's grace has ended. And there's no time to be saved any longer. Uh, I don't know if you know, the. uh, there are some believers that we know or I'm friends with, I believe Brother Dave is friends with as well. And they're in a little town outside of Sarnia, in a town called Petrolia, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. But they set up a tent just like this, uh, this week, or last week, I think this week was their first week. And they invested a lot of time and a lot of money in setting up this tent with new chairs, and it was a brand new tent. And uh, individuals came before the first night of meetings, and they slashed up the tent and they stole chairs and ran through the cities with chairs. And they broke a lot of the stuff. There's a lot of vandalism. As a matter of fact, police call it a hate crime. And it was interesting what they slashed in the side of the tent. They wrote these words, No God. N-O God. In other words, they are saying, I don't want to hear about God. The slogan in the world today is, If it feels good, do it. And there's sin that's rampant. And men don't want to hear about God because God's Word searches the soul. No God. It's interesting, if you look at that uh, particular line that they slashed into the side of the tent, you could have continued that and you could have said, No God, N-O God, no N-O peace. If you don't know God, friend, you have no peace. But if you know God, K-N-O-W, you can know peace, K-N-O-W. And the world today does not want to have anything to do with God. And they live their lives uh, as if they are not transparently living their lives before a holy God that searches right into their very heart and soul and knows all their sins. Whether it's a young boy or an older one alike. And God knows what, 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 uh, what, what tries your heart, the temptations you have, the flaws you have, the thoughts you have that are deep and, and secret and the things that you've done in the closet. God knows all of them. And that's why men don't want to have anything to do with God because God knows them. The beauty of the gospel, the, the, the most precious thing that I find precious about the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is that although God knew them, Christ received sinful men. And he walked with sinful people. And he healed sinful people. And he watched sin take the life of a man named Lazarus. And it actually took his life. Not only spiritually dead, he's physically dead. And Christ says, Lazarus, come forth. He loved sinners. Christ died for the ungodly. So regardless of our state, God looks down upon a sinful earth, a cursed earth, because of sin. And we read those words, Christ died for our sins. Tonight the question is not if you need Christ. It's if you want Christ. 
Individuals born in sin need Christ. And the Bible says we are born in sin. In sin did my mother conceive me. Our hearts are desperately wicked. I heard a person tell me one time, uh, my friend keeps telling me uh, that she doesn't do much wrong. I said, have you ever shown her that there's none that doeth good, no, not one? And she said, oh, I never even showed her that verse. That's what the Bible says. As if God spans all of time, past, present, and future. And he's looking at all the history of mankind and he's just looking for one. And he says, there's none that doeth good, no, not one, except Christ. And Christ came as a sinless, spotless sacrifice. Although sitting and eating with sinners. And he went to a Roman cross, a rugged cross. And he died a violent death for man. He died to set you free. He died to pay for your sins. He died so that sin never has control over your human self. And he died, friend, ultimately to give you a home in heaven. That's the grace of God. Something that you and I uh, can never merit on our own good works. So tonight, with God's help, i just like to look, and if you watch my hands, you'll see one hand touching here and one hand touching here. There's a strong fan that keeps throwing the word all over. But it's okay. It's not that I move my hands. But number one, we look at the door of sin, if I can use that terminology. The door of sin. Here we see in the garden, God has created absolute perfection. God creates Adam. God creates Eve. God breathes into man's nostrils the breath of life. And men become a living soul. He actually created mankind with his hands. They were beautiful creatures. I believe Adam was the most handsome man that ever touched planet Earth. And Eve the most beautiful woman that ever touched the planet. And here they are and they're enjoying creation until they sin. And they see that they're naked. They're ashamed in their sin. And they try to cover up their sin with aprons. And God sees their sin. And God kicks them out of the garden. So what was... Here's the, here's the solemn part about this door of sin. That what was once started as just disobeying God. Adam never slew a man. Adam never stole from the garden. Adam didn't rob a bank. Adam didn't uh, mistreat Eve. None of that. Adam disobeyed. That's what Adam did. And you and I have disobeyed God. We've sinned. We are not holy. Who are so far from holy? God says, be holy for I am holy. And from that little disobedience, there's a murder. That's the next sin. You say, well, that's tremendous. How does that happen? That, friend, is the result of sin. There's sin, and sin becomes progressive. And it gets worse and worse and worse. And Adam and Eve uh, have this... Uh, these two boys, Cain and Abel. And God wants them to bring a sacrifice the way God wants it. And friend, if you're ever going to get to heaven, you need to get to heaven God's way. It's not your way. And, and, and Cain brings the fruit of the earth. Cain, Cain brings his own works. God says our works are as putrefying sores. There are a lot of individuals that have done great things. There are good people in the world today. Fantastic people. But these good people too also die in their sins and they wake up in hell beneath. Good people, with good intentions, but sinful hearts. And all God wants to do is communicate the Word of God, the truth of the Gospel, through the Word of God, and reach sinners before it's ever too late, and have a relationship with them. And God tells uh, Cain and Abel to bring a sacrifice, and, and Cain brings his fruits, and Abel brings the sacrifice, the way God wanted And it says that the sin of jealousy rises up in Cain, because he sees that God loves Abel. And the verse there that we read together, I'll read it to you just one more time because there's a thought here that's very solemn thought. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. Here it is. And if thou doest well, because the Lord's speaking to Cain here. He's saying, Cain, why are you so angry? Here, listen. 
If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto you, he says, shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. The Lord is telling Cain here that, Cain, in a moment, if you allow sin to take over, you're going to do something you'll regret for the rest of your life. It's almost as if Satan, uh, Cain is standing there and there's a demon waiting to put his hands on him. And for the first time, animals are not sacrificed here. That's what happened in the garden because of sin. There was first sacrifice. Now a man's going to be sacrificed and he's going to lose his life from his own brother. From someone who should have loved him. From someone who should have grown up with him and cared about him. From someone who should have been pleased that God was pleased with his sacrifice. And should have said, hey Abel, great job. How can I do that? That God's pleased with me. But what happens in his sinful heart? Jealousy. And Cain rises up. And he slays his only brother. And he buries him in the ground. Sin, friend, lies at the door. And not only are we born in sin, but sin lies right at the very door of your heart. One might sit under the sound of the gospel and say, Matt, I don't know if I'm going to really sin tonight. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. By saying you're not going to sin, you've sinned. (laughs) Because it just flies out of you. And you'll leave these tent doors and you'll continue sinning. Just the thought of rejecting Christ is sin. To reject the gospel... To call God a liar. That's 1 John chapter 5. That to, to not believe what God's record has said of His sin, of His Son. Do you imagine showing up before God? Really before Christ at the great white throne. And your sin, as it were, is revealed. And He just looked at every second of your life that you rejected Christ. The millions of times that you heard the gospel and you said, No! The times you heard the Word of God, maybe read or heard a parent pray for your soul, and you said, I don't want it. The times perhaps you saw sin come into your life, and the control of sin, and the, and the addictions to sin, and the, and the material of sin, you saw all that happen, and you said, I want more of it. I don't want God. Thousands of times. Millions of times. And that scroll is rolled out, and you're condemned. And it's over. The door of sin. As a young boy... I look at the boys up front. Uh, I was not much older. Eight? Seven, eight? I don't know. I had a BB gun, and my dad bought us a BB gun at that age, which is not a wise idea. And um, we ran down the street. Joey was his name, my brother Mark, who's a year younger than me, and myself. And we ran down by the river. Uh, we lived on a river in northern Maine, and we ran through the woods, and there was an apartment complex a little ways from my house, about a quarter mile from my house. And... Um, We'd run behind there sometimes and just look because we could see shadows in the window. And as just a little boy, like his, his age, maybe eight or nine, I'm not sure, but as just a little boy, we took that BB gun and I was far. I was maybe here to the front door of that school, maybe even farther. And I cranked that thing up for everything it was worth. And I saw a shadow moving in the window. And I thought, hey, Joey, I bet you I can hit the shadow. And I fired, uh, I don't know how many rounds, 30? I mean, just pop, pop, until I heard tires squeal. So that was the owner of that apartment, or the guy who lived, lived there, and he's leaving, he's absolutely furious. So Joey and I, we ran, we could hear screaming, and so we ran, we ran down the woods, ran down the, the, the railroad tracks into the river, we ran into our house at the bottom of the, my dad's basement, and we hid, and I heard tires squeal into the driveway, and this man ran out, he didn't ring the doorbell, he didn't knock, he just busted through my door, and he said, where's your boy? <laughs> and I'm downstairs, and I'm absolutely terrified. There's nothing more terrifying. I know my father. We grew up in a very disciplinary home. 
And uh, he didn't spare the rod. Okay, and I heard him say, Matthew, come upstairs. And when they called me Matthew, and it wasn't Matt, it was serious. And I ran upstairs, and he said, where's your BB gun? I said, oh... Oh, it's downstairs. He said, did you go to the neighbor's house? The man was standing there. He was like seven feet tall. He was the biggest man <laughs> probably in, this, in the little town that we live in. He was just a giant of a man. And he's standing there and he's sweating and he's furious. And my dad told him, I'll take care of it. And Joey had run off. Joey, I was the scapegoat. Joey just ran off. I took everything. And I did do some shots, but Joey did too. I said, Dad, I'm so sorry. He took the BB gun. He snapped it over his leg. He was not happy. BBs flew all over the place. And I had it coming. Okay? I got in a lot of trouble. You know what happened? Sin lied right at the door. We were talking about it. We hadn't done it yet. Uh, we discussed the little scenario, what it would look like uh, in the living room. I could have just stayed right there and had that discussion and not followed through with it. But no, my friends and I, we went and we did it. Sin lied right at the door. And when I came back, my sin found me out. And your sin has found you out. God says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Throats, Romans says, as open sepulchers. We were just talking about this today. Absolutely filthy. Feet quick to shed blood. The way of peace, we don't know because we're sinners. And we've walked through the door of sin, friend. The day an individual is born walks through the door of sin, there's no turning back. They're sinners. They were born that way. That's why we have the beauty of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ because Christ receives sinful men. And heaven will be filled with sinners saved by the grace of God, covered in the blood of Christ. Now let's look here at the door of separation. I wanted to just keep it with S's, so maybe the younger ones, if you're listening along, you won't forget it. So the door of sin, number one. The door of separation, number two. Or the door of death. Death, friend, is no respecter of persons. Death doesn't knock on a door and say, well, he's got this as his academic background, we'll give him another day. No. Death doesn't walk on a door and say, well, he comes from this family, he's the Zudema family, they live till about 80 years old, let's let him live till about 80, we won't take his life now at 60. No. Death is no respecter of age. Death doesn't say, well, the boy's only seven. Give him just a few more years. No. Death is no respecter of persons. And God is asking Job, God is basically saying, Job, is it that bad? Have you seen the doors of death? It's one of the worst situations uh, that man can, can, can run into. I'm not talking about death as in Hannah says to me uh, a few months ago, there was a little spider in our house, and she says, Dad, I'm scared to death of spiders. I'm not talking about that. And she wasn't scared to death. Good night. She actually touched it after a while. She switched it. She wasn't scared to death. I'm talking about death where you stand before that casket and you wonder where the person that's absolutely cold is. That's the death I'm talking about. I could take you to a a big cathedral back up in Maine and I could take you to a place where my grandmother lay. Matter of fact, my father, months before my grandmother died, he called me and he said, Matt, she has pancreatic cancer. You need to come visit. And she was not saved. And I kept pushing that off. And I thought, you know what? Death won't happen yet. I'm too busy in my career, and I'll go when I have time. And I got the call one day, and my dad said, Mime is gone into eternity. She's out. And I had to show up to that casket. And I looked at her body. She was the one that we got along with. The grandparents, I didn't, my grandfather, I didn't get along with. But my grandmother, Heber, she was wonderful. She took us to McDonald's all the time. She sped. She'd fly through our town at 50 miles an hour. The speed limit was 25. And she'd tell us as little boys, forget the cops. That's what she told us. 
She was our favorite grandma. She was wild. She was a little crazy. And I looked at that casket and I said to myself, where are you? That person that's in there that died uh, over 15 years ago is never returning. She will never knock on our door again to take us to McDonald's. It's not happening. She will never bake us cookies. It's not happening. Do you want to know what's happened? Hast thou crossed the doors of death? She did. And she walked right through the door of death and she perished. She may be in heaven if she trusted Christ. I don't know that. God knows. But there's a door friend that's coming. Not only are we dead in our trespasses and sins spiritually, but we will at one point die physically. Our bodies will be buried in the ground. And I ask you, upon the authority of the Word of God, I ask you with a heart filled with love for your soul, where are you going? Where are you going? Because I'm going to heaven. Not because of Matt's doings. Uh, Let me tell you, if it's because of Matt's doing, I'm going straight to hell. I'm filthy. It's all because of Christ. Now let's just jump around. Let's look at John chapter 10. The most beautiful portion of Scripture. One of the most beautiful portions of Scripture uh, in, in all of Scripture. Here is Christ and He's speaking. And look at John chapter 10. It says, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thought there is not that someone gets saved and then they can lose salvation and come in and gain salvation and come back. No, no, no. The thought is there that they're absolutely satisfied. They can feed, as it were, on the pastures of salvation, on Christ. And they're in the door of salvation and they are saved. Christ is the door. Sir George Adam Smith, he was a scholar. He spent time in the Middle East. And he spent time around sheepfolds. And uh, what he noticed, he told, he told the individual that was the shepherd, he said, I see walls here, but there's no door. And the shepherd, without blinking, said, I am the door. He said, I actually lay down here. And he said, wolves can't cross, coyotes can't cross, any animal can't cross, because I am the door. You'd have to take me apart to come through the door. And the sheep are protected because I'm the door, I'm here. Christ says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. The enemy comes to steal. That's what we read here. I'm, re- I'm just reading scripture. The enemy comes to steal. He comes to kill. He comes to destroy. And the enemy, through sin, has been destroying families and lives all this time. And God's word says Christ came not to steal, not to destroy, not to kill, but to give life. Life. True life. Out of their bellies, the word of God says, will flow rivers of living water. And the person that comes to know Jesus Christ as their own personal Lord and Savior has a new walk, has a new talk, can can go through life, and the Word of God comes alive. And they're different. I noticed that after I got saved. I told my story uh, this past Sunday. But when I came back to my new town, um, I don't know if it was the look or if I, I don't know, I lost weight or whatever it was, but people were coming up to me, my old friends, and they said, You're different. Something's different. And they'd spend time, and Matt wasn't swearing anymore. And Matt wasn't doing the things he used to do anymore. And Matt wasn't touching XYZ anymore. And Matt wasn't going into the place that he shouldn't have gone in the first place anymore. What happened? I was different. I was born again. I was converted. I have a new birth. And God wants to give you that. Not that I'm perfect. Dave just mentioned Matt hates bullies. Uh, hard to imagine living there with him. Well, you know, like, well, we make mistakes, right? We're human beings. I'm not perfect. But when God looks down upon Matt Hebert, he sees the blood of Christ that washes my sins as far as the east is from the west. And I'm going to heaven based solely upon the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. What he did for me at the cross of Calvary. He knew my name, friend, before I was ever born. And he died to set me free. And I came to trust that. He that believeth on the Son hath 
everlasting life. And the Bible here says in John's Gospel in chapter 10, I am come that they might have life and not only life, I love it. If it's stopped there, that's good enough for me. That I have life. I pass from death unto life. From the family of sin to the family of God. From the family of peasants living in mud to now at the king's table and eating with the king. That's the thought there. But not only life, he says this, and that they might have it more abundantly. And you say, well, how did that happen? He says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Christ gave his life for you. Isaiah says, we're all like sheep that have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Christ gave his life for the sheep. Well, let's look at one solemn one here. In Luke in chapter 13, we hear of another door. Let me read it to you. Luke in chapter 13. And there's a door here that's shut. It says, Strive to enter in at the straight gate, for many I say unto you will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up and has shut to the door, and men begin to knock. That's what it says here. Men stand outside, women stand outside, and they begin to knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us, and he shall say unto you, I know you not whence you are. I can picture that scene. There are men there saying, Hey, Lord, listen. I spoke in Sunday school. I sang hymns under a tent. I memorized scripture. I told people about your son, but they have never taken his son. They didn't have a relationship with Christ. And he says, I know you not whence you are. Depart from me. Cursed. Outer darkness. That's the thought there. The door is shut. You know, I, I went to, uh, I took a preacher from Mexico to uh, Moody Bible Church. That's uh, something you'd want to go see. So Dave takes me to the churches here. They're fascinating in New York. And uh, Moody's one that you want to see in Chicago. And um, like we're both, we're both believers and we show up to the door and uh, a church that's supposed to be open all the time is actually locked. Uh, and um, so we start knocking, start knocking. And I'm thinking like, so finally someone for security comes, they open the door and they say, do you have tickets? And I said, tickets for what? Like, I wanted to show him just the church and what's, it's beautiful, it's fascinating. It was built in the late 1800s and, and they said, well, uh, we have doctors in town and they're speaking on the end times and prophecy and, and you, need to, you need to have tickets. They're $80 a piece, the guy told me. I said, oh, we don't have, I don't have 80 bucks and I don't have tickets. Can I just show him the church? And he said, no, you can't walk in. The door is shut unless you have a ticket. I ask you tonight, and we had to leave. As a matter of fact, not only leave, it started raining, and we had to walk down like a mile. It was a horrible experience. But I didn't have tickets. I couldn't walk through the door because I had no tickets. I ask you today, what's your ticket to heaven? Your ticket to bliss is Jesus died for me. That's mine. That's all I have. The blood of God's Son cleanses my sin as far as the east is from the west. And I came to trust that Jesus died for my sins. I ask you, is that good enough? Let me close with this. Time is flying. No, we're just going to close. There's no time. The door of sin. The door of separation. The door of salvation. And the door that's shut. Friend, listen. Don't wait till the door's shut. It'll be too late. You can walk tonight right through the door of salvation with no money, with no earnings, with no good works, with nothing fancy, nothing polished. You come to the God of heaven just the way you are as a guilty, wretched sinner. And you trust in the Lord Jesus for all your life, for your entire eternity. And rest assured that Christ receives 
sinful men. Let's pray.